like you to open your, your Bibles with me to back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10 today. And if you'll rise with me, we'll also have it up here. Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. May we hear these words today. May we believe them because they are the word of God. Please have a seat. Well, I know you've looked at the Greek text of Ephesians 1, right? You've, everybody's got their Greek version of the New Testament at home. You've opened it up, and you find yourself astonished at something really strange. Now, if you look at Ephesians 1, verses 2 through, 11, 2 through 14 are one long, nonstop, runaway sentence. It's one of those sentences that if you ever wrote in English class, your teacher would like put a lot of periods and commas in, and turn it right back to you and say, try again. But that's exactly what Paul did. You're fortunate because the English translations, they looked at this monstrous sentence that spanned 12 verses, and they said, we got to put some periods in there somewhere. People, they'll lose it. But what's happening here is that Paul is so excited. He's singing a song. And he's so excited during this song that he's singing, he doesn't have time to take a breath. He doesn't have time to put a period in anywhere. He wants to get this song out to you, so it just kind of flows all the way from verse 2 through 14. It's what we call a doxology. You ever wonder what that word is? We, say, we sing it every week. We say, stand up to sing the doxology. A doxology is a fancy word for a song of praise. A song of praise. And that's what we hear in here. When, uh, when God led the Israelites out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. On the other side, they stopped. And we read in Exodus 15 that they sang a song. They sang a doxology of praise to God. When Mary heard the word, and we hear this around Christmas time, she got the word from the angel that she was to give birth to Jesus. What's her next thing that she does? She sings a song of praise, the Magnificat. And that's what Paul is doing right here. In Ephesians 1, he's just so excited. He's recounting everything God has done for him and everything God's done for us. And he sings a doxology. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at God, Paul's praise of being elected into adoption into God's family. He's so excited to get adopted into God's family. He, wanted, he kicked the, the book right off with that. But as he goes on, Paul transitions into talking about how God accomplishes this. How God is able to adopt us by redeeming us. Because remember, we're lost. Hard to redeem or hard to just adopt people who are lost, who are wandering out there. They need to be redeemed. Now this word redemption is really important. We hear it a lot in the Bible. I think it's a word that brings Christians a lot of joy to our hearts. We hear, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. But when you're redeemed, 
It means somebody has paid a price for you. Somebody has paid a price to redeem you. Mark 10 tells us that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And Colossians 1 says that God has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and then he's transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Now we get that picture of this redemption, this process. We had to pay a price to grab us out of the darkness and bring us into his kingdom. Our redemption is, in fact, such a great source of cosmic wonder, of wonder to everyone, that 1 Peter 1 says that the prophets in the Old Testament would search the, the scriptures intently and with the greatest care to figure out what this salvation is all about. They would search intently and with the greatest care. And Peter goes on to say that even angels longed to look into such things. That our redemption is such a source of wonder that angels are flabbergasted by it. That they want to know the truth of it. That they, they, they're like little kids shaking gifts on Christmas morning going, I want to open it up and find out what's inside of it. I want to know the truth of their redemption. But what delights Paul more than just the memory of his redemption, because he's already been redeemed, is the examination of the benefits for the people who are redeemed. He says it's really cool. It's like joining a fan club. Anybody when they were kids ever join a fan club? You ever read at the end of magazines or books or see on TV? They used to do this. They say, send in a dollar to P.O. Box, whatever, whatever, and you could join this fan club. But to get you to join the fan club, they would list all the benefits. They say, well, you join this club and you will get these great benefits. You will get an official certificate that you can hang on your wall. Yeah, I don't have my college diploma on my wall, but I have some great certificates if you ever want to look. Great certificates, and then you'd get a decoder ring. And so you can, you know, astound people with decoding things. And on your birthday, you'll get a special letter from our fan club president. And on and on, they would say, you get coupons and discounts. And we, as kids, we thought this was the coolest thing ever. You know, we get all these cool benefits. And we'd send it away, and then six to eight weeks, we'd start getting these benefits back. The best fan clubs always had the best benefits. Now, that's what you got for a dollar. Honestly, you didn't get that much. As an adult, I look back, I'm like, man, it's like they gave us the bare minimum. But of course, you're just giving them a dollar. What do you get when Jesus Christ paid his entire life for you? What kind of benefits do you get from that? Well, I want to look into that today. I want to see what we get when Jesus paid his whole life to get you into his club. What's this benefits package that God gives you when you're redeemed? Let's take a look at that today. Now, there is a tried and true method. If you look around and go, well, there's always more room for people in the pews here at Knox. I've got some good news. There's a tried and true method. We can pack the pews in next Sunday. And no, I'm not saying that we have to get Sue to make some brown, uh, cupcakes, although that's a good start. Great cupcakes. A tried and true method that many churches have done to bring in the, the masses is to simply stop talking about sin, stop talking about hell, and stop talking about God's wrath. 
Instead, let's take that stuff out of the service. And instead, let's talk about people being basically okay. That they're, they're doing just fine in their life. And that God really is just there to kind of be a, a life coach who comes around and punches you on the shoulder and says, Hey, champ, you're doing okay. You're doing great. Is there anything I can do for you to tell you how great you are? There's some churches in America right now that have sold out the gospel for popularity. And they pack them in. And it's, just, it's one, one of the great tragedies of our country right now that we have these, some of these mega churches, sometimes smaller churches, but mostly these giant churches that you read about where they go to great lengths never to offend a single soul. And so you'll never hear them talk about sin, which is a shame because then they're never talking about the gospel. Because the very starting point of the gospel is an examination of your sins. That's where we have to start. The gospel doesn't say, hey, all have sinned, but it's no big deal. To all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have fallen well short. The gospel takes this giant searchlight, shines it on your light, exposes every black, filthy, disgusting sin in your life, and says, look at that. You can't get rid of that. That's where the gospel message starts. Of course it's offensive. To any sinner that sees that, they go, oh, I don't want to hear that. I want to go to places where they're going to tell me what I want to hear. Yet for churches that do preach the gospel, and I like to think that Knox is one of them, churches that do preach the gospel, we don't harp on sin just to make you feel bad. That's not our point. We're not here to beat you down while you're already down. We're not here to give you a guilt trip, like here, here's your guilt trip. Uh, thank you. Go on your way. No, we start with this examination of sin because the more you understand how great your sin is, the more you understand how deeply you have wounded God, the more you realize how great God has forgiven you. See, if you think God's only forgiven you, or you've only done this much bad in your life, then really, God's only really forgiven you that much. There's nothing to really sing about on Sunday mornings. There's nothing to praise Him about. There's nothing to follow Him about. But man, if you can't stop listing all of the sins in your life, and then you turn around and realize God has scrubbed those clean. He's drowned those sins. He's gotten rid of them. He's thrown them as far away as the east is from the west and he will never bring them up to throw them back in my face, then I never have a reason to stop praising him. That forgiveness is huge. We have a Savior because we have something to be saved from. And our Savior saves us from all these sins. And this is great. It's great when we examine these sins. If you've been redeemed, your first benefit is that you've been forgiven by God. You have not been forgiven in part. You've been forgiven in whole for every sin you've done, every sin you've done today, every sin you will do in the future. When you are saved, God wipes your slate clean and it will never be written on again. That is the kind of forgiveness God gives to you. And it is incredible. It is exciting. And that's why Paul leads with that when he talks about these benefits of redemption. But it's really hard for some Christians to accept that. When you tell them, you've been forgiven, they go, yeah, but maybe I haven't. Maybe I, I have a hard time forgiving other people. Maybe God's like that to me. Maybe I've done those one or two really bad sins and God's just going to 
he's holding on to those for when we get into an argument, and then he's going to fling those back at me. I go, you know what? Take Jesus at his word here in Ephesians 1. He has forgiven you. Believe him or not, but that's the truth. The next benefit, that's a great, great start to the benefit, but the next benefit we get according to Ephesians 1 is the grace of God. The last time we looked at Ephesians, we talked about how grace is God's unmerited love and favor. You didn't do anything to merit it, but God decided, I'm still going to give you my love and favor to you. But when Paul goes into talking about grace here, his focus is more on the amount of grace. He says this right here, if you still got your Bibles open. He says that redemption is lavished on us according to the riches of God's grace. And that phrasing is really important. I don't want to get nitpicky here, but there's something really important to understand here, and I want to explain why. Say if you walk out of the church today and a, a very fabulously wealthy man, you're Jeff Bezos, or something walks up to you in the parking lot and says, hey, you're a good-looking sport. I like to give you some of my money. <laughs> wow, you say, that's great. He says, but I'm going to give you a choice. I can give you money out of my riches, or I can give you money according to my riches. Which will you take? If you're smart, you'll do the latter. Here's why. If somebody gives you money out of their riches, it could be any amount whatsoever. He could give you a dime. Here you go. That's out of my riches. Ten cents. Don't spend it all in one place. Right? Walk away. That's out of your riches. But according to is a ratio. It means I'm going to give you your riches according to the same level that I enjoy riches. So if I'm fabulously wealthy and I give you according to that, I'm going to make you a fabulously wealthy person. I'm going to lavish upon you mansions and boats and sports cars, whatever, whatever I already have, I want you to have that too. That's why this is important. God's not saying to you, I'm going to be miserly. I'm just going to give you a tiny little bit of my love and my favor. You don't even deserve that, by the way. But I'm going to give you that tiny little bit. No, that's not what God says. I'm going to lavish upon you riches of my grace according to what I already have. I'm going to open up my storehouse and I'm going to flood you with so much grace you'll never come to the end of it. And that's good because I love the fact we're not just getting a one-time deal. We're getting something that goes on and on and on. Last year, I think my parents gave us a pass, a season pass to Fantasy Island. Rest in peace. And we got... We love that. That was the best thing. We're like, oh, well, you know, Knox is pretty good. But now we've got a season pass to Fantasy Island. And we used that thing, like, all the time last summer. We went there, you know, we would just go almost every, twice a week, three times a week, bring the kids there. And we had a great time. It felt like it was one of those special gifts that kept on giving. I love getting a gift that keeps on giving. But, of course, it came to an end. And for several reasons now, we can't enjoy that gift anymore. But God's grace never ends. That's why Paul's singing about it here. He's not just the amount of grace, not just what grace is, but the fact that you can enjoy it right now today, God's love and his favor. And by the way, you can enjoy it a million years from now when you're sitting at his feet 
and a million years past that, and a million years past that. It will never, ever end. It is the gift that just keeps on going. And that's why it's just such a great thing to be looking at today. And the more we enjoy this benefit of grace, the more I really truly believe it makes us gracious in our lives. That we go, wow, God has loved me without merit. He shows favor to me without merit. Maybe I need to turn around and do that for other people too. Maybe I need to start living a gracious life. And I believe that. I've seen some Christians that they do that. They don't hold back in how they treat others. Well, going back to my childhood, I'm sorry, I do this a lot. It's probably where I live in my head a lot. But back in the 1980s, there was a very successful book series called Choose Your Own Adventure. And they had his own spinoffs, but these were, these were the popular ones. This guy, he came up with this idea. He said, well, I want to write a book where as you're reading it, the reader gets to make a choice. So you're, you're reading the book, and you suddenly get to a point where you say, you know, if you want to jump off a cliff, go to this page. If you want to you know, turn around and run the other way, go to this page. And so you'd flip, and you would find out what happened in that story. And as a kid, I loved these books because you could read the same book dozens of times and get a different story. It was constantly branching and moving. But there's a weird phenomenon that happened, and I wasn't the only one, among people who read Choose Your Own Adventure books. They'd get to a choice, and then they would freeze. And you'd go, ooh, because if I make the wrong choice, the story could end. I could get one of those, the end, you know, you hated getting the ends. So what I would do is I would put my finger in the book, and I look to the first choice, and I see how, the, oh, that was a bad choice. Go back, right, and make the better choice. And I was thinking about that. I mean, everybody did that. It's what you did. You know, I always had that finger in the book. And I thought about that this week as I was reading this passage, going, how wonderful it would be to be able to go back and make choices all over again when you chose the wrong thing, right? Wouldn't it be great if God gave you, like, here's five do-over cards. Use them any time in your life. Make a, bad, you know, you, make a bad choice in, in your marriage, make a bad choice at your work, whatever, slam one of those cards down, go back, make the better choice. We don't get those cards. But God does give us the ability to make the right choice the first time. And that's what Paul says when he goes on and he says that God is free, as part of this redemption package, he is free to give to you his wisdom and understanding. My wisdom and understanding, not so big. But God's is great. And God says, I want to share with you my experience. I want to share with you my perspective. I want to help you make the good choices so that you don't look back and go, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't did that. I really wish I could take that back. God says, I want to help you make the right choice. In fact, one of the greatest promises of the Bible is in James 1.15. And James writes there, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He promises to give it to you. It's one of the greatest promises in the Bible. I love it because I turn around and I go, God, I don't know what choice to make. Give me some wisdom, please. Help me to see what the right thing to do is. Help me to make choices not based on my own understanding, but yours. 
When you start living your life according to God's wisdom, you lean on that benefit as part of your redemption package, you start finding out you're making better choices in your life. It's like what that question is that they had a long time ago, that people wore those bracelets, what would Jesus do? It was another way of asking, what would be the wise choice? What would be the thing that Jesus would choose to do? And I should probably make that choice too. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God this week. So wow, we've got a pretty full benefits package here. But as he's singing this song, and Paul's already, it seems like it's so full, but he gets to verse 10, and he adds one final benefit to this mix. He says, guess what, guys? Being part of this club, being one of the redeemed, you get to know the secret of God's plan. You get to know the secret of God's plan. Now, we love secrets. We're intrigued by secrets. There are a lot of secret societies out there. I'm always really intrigued by them. There's, um, in fact, back in 2004, one of the Yale secret societies, Skull and Bones, came up a lot in the news. People were talking a lot about the secret society that was at Yale University, Skull and Bones. They didn't know what went on there, a lot of the secret benefits and their, their initiations and all that, but they wondered about it because in 2004, both presidential candidates came from Yale's Skull and Bones. John Kerry and George Bush were both members of the same secret society. Kind of makes you wonder, huh? You know, if either one won, you know, still Yale's kind of pulling the strings. We don't know. Isn't that odd? But for us, the rest of us who are on the outside, if we ever try to go up to the, the building of Skull and Bones or any of these other secret societies, and we try to peek into the window, we try to find out what's going on. I want to see what your secrets are. They're going to draw those curtains right in our face, right? They're going to say, you're not one of us. You don't get to know what our secrets are. Ha ha. You know, whatever they, I don't know. That's, that's a kid thing. They say, you're on the outside. You don't get to know those secrets. And that's frustrating because we're curious people. We like to unravel mysteries. We like to know hidden things. Which is why I get excited. I don't care that I'm not part of those secret societies. I get excited when I read the Bible say, God wants to tell you the biggest secret of all. And you get to know it because you're part of his society. You're part of his club. You get to know this great secret. Well, in the Old Testament, those believers, Nehemiah, Moses, David, Abraham, they didn't get to know this secret. They saw signs of it, that God was working to build something. They saw a shape of something. They saw details. They had promises pointing forward, but they didn't get to know the specifics. It's like if you've ever watched a building being constructed, and there's scaffolding and blankets and everything hanging around it. You get a sense of the shape of it, but you don't get to actually see it until it's fully done. God's work was done in the New Testament, and that's when the scaffolding comes down. And when God says to the New Testament believers, let me show you my work. Let me show you my secret. I get to get get give you this revelation and, and share it with you because you're one of the redeemed. That's one of your benefits. So, okay, I build it up. What's this revelation? What's this big secret? What's it all been about? If you had to sum up the entire Bible, and say, what has this all been about? 
What is God working toward in the Old Testament? What is he working toward even now in 2020? This is what it says right here in Ephesians 1. Paul lifts the lid right off of it. He says, what God is working toward, what the big secret is, is to bring all of redeemed creation into unity under Jesus Christ. That's the plan. That's the secret. That's what in the Old Testament they would have given their eyes teeth to know. But we get to know that. And why does God let us know that? Why does he let us in on this secret? Why doesn't he just save it until someday in the future when it comes into the fullness of time, as Paul talks here? Well, it's because we're part of that plan. And Paul says you're part of this redemption. That means you're part of this plan for God to bring all these redeemed people together to unify them so that they're no longer scattered people, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, Republicans, Democrats. We want to bring everybody together in unity under Christ Jesus. It's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for this moment to arrive. When you pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that you want this unity, that things here will be the same as things there. There, there's unity already. And they're enjoying that. Here, it's, a, it's coming. And one day, all things in heaven and on earth will be brought into unity under Christ Jesus. But it doesn't mean we have to wait until that fullness of time happens to start working toward that right now. One of our missions, and Paul will go into this later in Ephesians, is that our job is to unify the church. Our job is to break down these barriers, break down these walls, to start treating each other like we're all part of the same team. We're all part of the same family. Stop tearing people down. Start building them up. Stop talking about people behind their back. Start praising them behind their back. Start loving each other. We need to support each other. We need to make peace with one another. And that's something you can do today. You can start working toward this unity in the church because you have purpose. God is, says, I want you to be part of my team. You're redeemed. You have purpose. And part of that purpose is to start joining me in this grand effort of uniting all of redeemed creation so that one day when Jesus Christ comes again, all will be made fully whole. But we can start working on that today. We can start working on it this week. So let's recap. Let's look at this redemption package one last time. You get redeemed. You're elected. Jesus Christ comes. He redeems you. What do you get? The benefits you get are total forgiveness. You're lavished with grace and love forever. You're given practical wisdom to make good decisions in your life. And you're included in this plan and purpose that one day all will be brought into unity under Christ. Jesus paid dearly to give you all of that. Don't take it for granted. Don't squander it. Instead, dig into these benefits of this week. Put them into practice in your life and praise God for them. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we read these words by Paul. We read all these wonderful benefits we get when you call us to be your sons and daughters. And man, how can we not fall to our knees and praise you? That you love us so much that this is what you want to give us, the absolute best. 
that we can be forgiven, we can be loved, we can be wise, we can be connected. Lord, I pray all these things that, Lord, especially bring this unity to Notch Church. I think it's something every church struggles with, is to be unified, because we have sin, and sin divides us. Help us overcome that sin. Help us to overcome this disunity. Lord, every week, bring us more and more together. That we would just cheer each other on, bear each other's burdens, love each other deeply. In your name, amen. It's amazing that we get this entire benefits package. And Justin, when you're talking about paying for it, what's amazing is we get the benefits package that someone else paid for. Right? We don't need to send the dollar into the P.O. box because Jesus already has paid that price. So we get the best of both worlds. We get all of the benefits of salvation and the gospel and the good news and of Jesus Christ with thankfully not having to pay the price that Jesus paid for us. It's a win-win. It's an awesome reminder of what God has done for us and what he says about us and what that means for us. So under that umbrella, under the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel, go in peace, and we'll see you guys next week.